Hey everyone, welcome into another edition of the Woj Pod. My guest today, Basketball Hall of Famer Jackie McMullen. We talk about her revelatory five-part series running this week on ESPN about mental health in the NBA. She talked to some of the biggest stars in the sport and got them to open up about what they're dealing with, what they've dealt with for a very long time, how the league and teams are addressing these issues for players in the NBA right now. A remarkable series of stories by the great Jackie McMullen. Here's our conversation. Welcome into Jackie. Jackie, how are you? Hey, how are you, Adrian? Am I the last person on earth that calls you Adrian? No, no, you're not. Good. Not at all. I mean, I have a family of Wojes, so in my family, everybody's last name is Wojnowski, so lots of people there call Everybody's me. Woj, huh? Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, but they're not all throwing bombs, right? Well, in their own ways, many are. Um, <laughs> you know, I got two teenagers, so they, oh, there you go. they have their they have their moans, yeah. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> um, but, so, Jackie, this is, and I've been fortunate to have read all of it, and everyone's going to be able to see all of it by the end of the week, but... You published this week on ESPN.com a five-part series that started Monday and then Tuesday when this publishes part two and then on the rest of the week about mental health and the NBA. It was a long time in the making for you, a long time in the reporting. And, you know, I think a lot of people may have seen the Kevin Love interview on SportsCenter and, and some of the other ESPN shows where he talked on air with you. He obviously spoke to you for in a longer form for the story. Let me start here. The idea to tackle this issue, which is not easy to report, it is not easy to get people to talk about it. What brought you to the story? Well, you know, it really started a long time ago with John Lucas. And I've known John for a long time. And I know you have too, Adrian. And we were having a conversation about something else entirely different. And a player walked by and I said, oh, I'd be worried about him. And he said, tell me about it. But the thing is, Jackie, there's one or two or three of those guys on every team. And I said, really? He said, mental health is just, you know, an epidemic, which, and then he said it again for me two years later when I actually started reporting this. So it was always in my mind. And of course, uh, for those who don't know, John Lucas was a, you know, a very fine player in the NBA, a guard, you know, out of Maryland, had a very fine career, but also had a terrible problem with addiction, which he speaks very openly about. And uh, he ended up starting a, a wellness and recovery program for not just NBA players, but for all sorts of athletes who have struggled with alcohol and substance abuse. As John makes the point, you know, they go hand in hand with mental health issues. So he's, you know, he kind of got me thinking about it. And then the other one was Brad Stevens, because, of course, I'm based in Boston and uh, have, have occasion. I'm lucky to talk with Brad a lot. He's a very thoughtful guy. And he was involved with mental wellness and mental mindfulness, if you will, all the way back when he was a coach at Butler. So when I mentioned it to him, I wanted to take his temperature on it, very enthusiastic about it and very encouraging and saying, you know, if you handle it in the right way, I really believe some of these players will share. And uh, some did, some didn't, some almost did and changed their mind at the last minute. And I respect all of them for the choices they make. I really do. Kevin Love was uh, the focus of day one, Kevin Love, mm-hmm. Paul Pierce, Chris Bosh, DeMar DeRozan. Right. But but Love was an interesting one because he shared his story initially in a first-person piece that he did on the Players' Tribune. You had talked to him, right. though, about maybe doing something 
prior to that and he made right. a decision ultimately to do it outside of a story and then sort of came back to you for this one. Right. So I think really, um, Adrian, the reason we started the first part in the first person, which I'm not really usually very comfortable with, because my, Kevin and I are just so intertwined in this, this. And, you know, I've already texted with him four times since part one ran. I mean, he is, this, he really is going to make this his life's work. It's very important to him. And I had been in um, Cleveland doing a bunch of different stories, a Kyrie Irving story. I was doing a, a thing um, with uh, Dwayne Wade and, and the retired players and, and, and then also Channing Fry because Channing had come forward about his mental health issues and he hasn't even scratched the surface of what he's told everybody. And Kevin was listening at his locker and I could tell he was interested in what we were talking about. And I knew Kevin and he, you know, said kind of, I guess you never know what people are going through. And I thought, okay, this guy's ready to talk. So when I went to the all-star game, you know what it's like there. It's, just, you know, it's eight deep people asking the dumbest questions you could ever imagine. I thought, and Kevin was hurt. He had a broken hand, so he wasn't going to be available like the regular players were that were actually playing in the game. And I just kind of felt like, man, I, I just got to go for this. So I, I just said, I'm just going to ask him. I, you know, and I said, have you ever talked to a mental health professional? And everybody was like, what? And then he said, yes. And then, you know, then I started waving to the guys like, I need to talk to this guy. So we went behind the curtain and had a very frank conversation. But the minute it started to get real, you know, and I started asking about, well, what about that panic attack in November against Atlanta, which we kind of knew about, right, because Ty Lue had tipped us on that. Then all of a sudden, Kevin Love was out. You know, he wasn't ready. And I said to him, you're not ready. He said, I'm not. I'm not ready to do this. And he went home that night and he said to me, he said, I couldn't sleep all night. And I kept thinking, why can't I tell her this? Why can't I do it? You know, why can't I tell? And he just he just couldn't bring himself to do it. Yeah, and he was, I mean, he's been remarkably open. And, right. you know, you asked him a question. You asked him in the television part of it, and, and which was essentially about the reaction in the league, that there's still going to be, and maybe it will always exist, and maybe it's smaller than it used to be. I'm sure it's a lot smaller than when you covered the league in the late 80s and 90s, right. who would oh, yeah, say, never admit this. Well, right. you're, well, you're soft. You're, and, and I remember you talked about that game and he talks about it very openly about feeling like his heart was coming through his chest that he, he felt like he was going to die um, right. when he left the court. And then there was a team meeting on Monday where I think he missed the practice on Sunday and then came in on Monday and the team kind of confronted him on it. And I got wind of it and it had been a kind of an explosive Cavaliers moment. And I remember I got wind of it and, heard some bits and pieces and wrote some of it, but not all of it, because some of the things that he shared with the group, you know, like they went at it and some of the guys went back at him. Some understood, some weren't listening. And it was and he sort wasn't of being truthful, Adrian, there. He wasn't even telling them everything at that time. No, he wasn't he telling wasn't them. Ready to, yeah. yeah, he wasn't ready to tell them everything, you know. It's a process and you can't hurry the process along. You have to be comfortable with it in your own skin. I think the more you share the easier it gets for you. I mean, this interview I did with Kevin was done last Wednesday in Los Angeles, and he was ready. Ask me anything, you know? That's what he said. And he, I thought he answered some pretty difficult questions, you know? It, it almost seems he, it, you get this sense that there's this, you might think that there is this incredible burden that comes with being the face of this, but it almost feels like it's just the opposite. He's been liberated by talking about this, and, and that's far less of a burden than now than what it felt like to him before he opened up about it. Oh, there's no question that's true. And with everyone I spoke to, 
that was the case. And, you know, as you see some of the names come out over the next few days, you know, Marcus Morris, right? One of the toughest guys in the league, uh, you know, a, a badass from Philly, right? He and his brother, that's what we think of them. And uh, he was really, you know, I, I, I kind of randomly went to people and said, hey, I'm doing this mental health thing. And it seems to me all of you have been touched by this in some way. All of you have a story. And, and Marcus Morris is like, call me tomorrow. I mean, he was ready. You know, he just, they're, they're ready. Cause it, because I think what they learn about in counseling when they, when they see these mental health professionals is that the worst thing you can do is bottle it in. The worst thing you can do is let it fester. It'll cause you anxiety. It'll cause you distress. It'll cause you depression. When you have issues, you know, the best thing you can do is confront them and deal with them and talk with them, not just among your family, but, you know, anyone that can make you feel better. And so the stress relief that comes with so many of these guys coming forward is really remarkable. And, and it, and it makes me sad a little bit because there were, you know, a small number of high profile players that initially had spoken to me and changed their mind. And, and I don't, I don't think they're weak. I don't think I don't have a negative word to say about any of them because it's such a personal choice and, and has, you know, sometimes has financial ramifications, right? If your team isn't the understanding kind, if your team doesn't, you know, isn't ready to be proactive and, and forward thinking about this, maybe it's going to cost you a free agent contract. Maybe it's going to be the difference between you getting traded or released or, or whatever. So, but I feel badly for them because I've seen the positive results for these players that have made this decision and how it's changed their lives. And it's been all positive. Jackie, what did you learn about how organizations and teams are handling this, these issues now about how prepared teams are to help players confront these issues? I think they're more prepared than I thought. And I think it's, again, it's an unspoken thing, right? Because we're dealing with confidentiality here and, you know, Kevin Love and DeMar DeRozan and Marcus Morris, and they're the, I think they're still the exception, not the rule. There are still plenty of players who are dealing with their mental health issues, but they're doing them it privately and confidentially. And so that's the one thing that every player has said they've wanted. And I think most teams have an understanding of that now and are, are willing and able to give the players that. But I think the biggest difference is that's all fine. That's if there is a problem. I think the biggest difference now with teams is they're being proactive about leaving pamphlets in their locker room, having mental health professionals come in to address the whole team, mandatory meeting. Ah, I don't want to listen to this guy. I don't want to listen to this lady. But then you sit there and, and you start listening to what these people are telling you and what they're saying, and, and it resonates with them. And I think the other big thing is almost every franchise that I had a chance to interview owners, and, and most of the owners really didn't want to be quoted. Jeannie Buss was an exception, but most of them just would talk to me on background. I think what, what they've realized is, you know, we need to be proactive about this, and it needs to be someone with no affiliation to the team so that this player can feel completely comfortable talking about whatever it is they want to talk about. And the truth is most of them, not all of them, like I would say Chris Bosch, what happened on the court affected his mental health and his mental wellness. But for most of them, the court is where things go well. That's their sanctuary. You know, Paul Pierce, this debilitating depression he had after his stabbing, you know, he talks about going, he can't play, but he's going to practice for hours because he's safe there and he, he doesn't want to have to leave and go home. He had a 24-hour guard outside his house. That's how paranoid he had become uh, because he had a little bit of post-traumatic stress from that stabbing incident. Had that been a conversation, you've had a long relationship with Paul Pierce, you covered him uh, really his whole career in Boston. 
Had you guys spoken about that in the past, or was this a new revelation to you never, from him? Never so never once. even off the record you had chatted about it, no? Never, Adrian. And I've known Paul a long time, and I've written some, you know, Paul and I have been, we have literally grown up together in this league, and I've had to write some really tough things about Paul through the years, and I've also wrote, written some really wonderful things, you know, when he really matured and became the leader that helped the Celtics win that championship in 2008, but... I do remember doing a story in the aftermath of his stabbing. We did it probably a year after, and and he shared a little bit about the details of the scars on his back. And, and you know, the only thing I remember that kind of resonated with me is he said something about, oh, and there's scars that you don't see. And I guess I wasn't an astute enough reporter back then to uh, say, well, what do you mean by that? So, you know, that came about, I was in L.A., I was doing The Jump, our, you know, our friend Rachel Nichols, her great show. I was there, we, we were having lunch afterwards because they were retiring Paul's number in the garden, I think the next month or in the next few weeks. So we, we went and had lunch at Morton's, we were sitting down, we were talking about that and about KG. And then I said, you know, I'm doing this mental health thing and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to figure out who do I need to talk to. Like, I said, everyone I talked to has had something. And he said, well, yeah, I had something. I said, when? He said, oh, my God, after I got stabbed. And then he told me this incredible story about, you know, being in a restaurant and having someone calling and making a death threat on his life. And the idea that Paul Pierce, who seemed so fearless, was afraid to leave his home. It's pretty unbelievable. Jackie, what was your sense about how and when these things, listen, these issues for players they didn't just start once they got to the NBA. They were, from, oh, like no, you said, many right. of them in high school, you know, grade school, high school, college. And I've been in covering the game and at different levels. You know, you get it in college where there's different times where I think it's difficult for people, especially when a player's just passing through, to maybe try to push somebody to get them help. Maybe guys aren't ready, right. whether it's agents. You know, I've always found agents who, in almost all cases, want to do the right thing for their guy and want them healthy and well. that That's just good for everybody. But if they push a guy too hard, he might say, hey, I'm going to go to somebody. I don't need to hear this from you. And right. so guys don't push it. And, and I've seen with colleges, with one-and-done guys, where there were chances to deal with some things and you could see them just let things go and not really address it with players. It's different when you get into the NBA and now you sign a contract and you're you're with a team and you're an investment what was your sense about how, for a lot of these guys, they were handled well before they got to the pros? Right. Well, one of the things I learned, and maybe I, I think I knew a little bit of this inherently, but you look at all these studies, these mental health and wellness studies, and I read way too many of them. <laughs> but one of the things you learn is that, you know, one of the studies was a, a Center for Disease Control CDC study. They have You have these things called adverse childhood experiences. ACEs was the name of the study. And what happens to you before you're the age of 10, almost two-thirds of our population has had at least one adverse childhood experience. And that can be everything from your parents getting divorced or someone dying in your family or you witnessing a violent act or, you know, you have a violent act, you know, someone someone's abusing you, whether it's verbally or physically or all is all, you know, it's really it's a pretty broad spectrum of things. And these things start to build up. And, you know, what we also discovered was through many studies was for if you're a young African-American and you're growing up in an urban, urban area in poverty, it's a given you're going to have, you know, several of these adverse experiences. And they build up and they, and they you know, start to bubble inside you. And the African-American cultures, and actually almost every culture, it seems, is suck it up, be a man, learn how to deal with this. 
so those over time just build one on top of the other. And I think there is some good news with the colleges. You know, Trey Young will appear in part five talking about how he's being proactive to try to come into the NBA with really good, sound, mindful, you know, good mental wellness or mental health. And Oklahoma, where he went to school, even just for that one year, has a really great uh, landmark program. Every student athlete that goes to Oklahoma has to be part of it. And they meet with mental health professionals and they have workshops with the teams and then they have workshops with the coaches and they listen to the, you know, the different issues that the coaches are having and the players having and then they use those sessions as a bridge to bring them together. And so I think schools like Oklahoma are, are on to it and they're not the only school by any stretch. But your point is a good one, agents and then coaches. Remember now, back in the day, the coaches had the iron fist. Adrian, you know this as well as I do in the NBA today. The players make 10 times as much as every coach. Yeah, the coach is disposable. Coaches don't have the hammer anymore. The players do. I mean, we can talk about LeBron James all day, but the biggest thing that he did was give the players all the power, more power than the owners even at this point. LeBron James has changed the landscape of player uh, movement and players' rights. And so if a player, and believe me, there are very, very – large number of high-achieving NBA players that are dealing with mental health issues that will not address them. And I'm not saying LeBron's one of them because I have no idea, by the way. I don't mean to suggest anything differently. I don't have no idea about LeBron at all. But if you are that powerful player and you don't want to address what you're dealing with, who's going to make you? Who's going to make you? It's a real issue. Today's episode of the Woj Pod is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Hiring is challenging, but there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart. A place where growing businesses connect to qualified candidates. That place is ZipRecruiter.com slash Woj, W-O-J. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over a 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. So with results like that, it's no wonder that ZipRecruiter is the highest rated hiring site in America. And right now, my listeners on the Woj Pod can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address. ZipRecruiter.com slash Woj. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash W-O-J. ZipRecruiter.com slash Woj. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. You mentioned uh, Trey Young, and all five parts of these are really compelling. They really are, and, and you, you tackle a different facet each day. But Trey Young, one of the things you talked with him about was social media and the impact that's had, Right. Um, which I think only amplifies problems for guys it can amplify it you know it's you can become paralyzed by reading what is said about you day in and day out and the roller coaster that you know when you're playing great when you're not playing great whatever it is and and he talked about that because he went through that in his freshman year at Oklahoma right well he went through a lot at Oklahoma think about it here's this kid he's not on anybody's radar before the season starts he's not at a McDonald's preseason all-american or anything and he gets off to this incredible start. He's hitting threes from, you know, 35 feet away. He's, he's the next step Curry, and Oklahoma's winning, and all of a sudden ESPN is 
who are, you know, featuring him every night, not just ESPN, everybody. I mean, the kid blows up. And then all of a sudden, Oklahoma starts losing, and he starts missing shots. And now all of a sudden, everybody's like, I'm tired of Trey Young. Well, Trey Young didn't want you to love him as much as you did, and he certainly didn't want you to hate him as much as you ended up hating him. He just, you know, he had no control over what was happening to him. And, I, you know, that's a lot for a kid who was, at the time, I think 18 years old. And I, I don't know who can handle that properly. And if you're looking on social media, that becomes a real problem. So he talks in part five, and I, I, we're, we're giving you a little preview here, but he talks a little bit about that. You know, he went to uh, the summer league in uh, Salt Lake. His first shot was an air ball. And everybody's ready to write him off after <laughs> one shot. And he said he went home to the hotel and, and knew better than to turn on the TV or check his Twitter feed because – he needs positive self-talk. He's just a kid who's going who's gonna to be asked to carry this franchise, and it's a lot. That's enough, right? So social media is a major problem, major problem for all these guys. Yeah, Twitter is not the place for anybody to get positive self-talk. You're not right. going – you're, you're rarely going to find it there. why I am there. not on it, Adrian. You, you're right. You, yeah, I know I had no Twitter handle for you this morning when I nope. tweeted out the story. Yep. Yeah, you, I think I'm old enough and cranky enough that nobody pushes me too hard <laughs> to get it at this point. Um <laughs> The perspective you have, Jackie, of having covered the league and covered the league in a different era. You covered some of the greatest teams in history in Boston and L.A. and Chicago. How much did reporting out this series and kind of learning about what this had done to players in this generation and thought back and said, wow, boy, that gives me different perspective on that player or that coach or that person who – at the time, I didn't know why he didn't make it or right, he exactly. Did it give you context to some other years and players and, and eras that you covered? Very true. And you know, I kind of I made a decision. There were some older players that I spoke with for this series, and and they would specifically mention players uh, that dealt with things. And I kind of made a decision not to do that. That didn't seem fair to me because they're not mental health experts. Right. But by the way, I don't dispute the validity of what they're saying, and. You know, one guy, I guess I could say, because he, he's long gone, and a lot of people have never heard of him. I know you have, though. John Brisker. Yeah. Everybody talks about how crazy he was, and, and the stories were funny. You know, he was in the ABA, and he was bringing a gun into the locker room, and he's got a hatchet, and he's throwing at people's lockers. And, right. You know, that sounds funny, yeah. except for the guy except, had serious mental yeah. health issues. Yeah. And so this goes all the way back. This is not a new concept. This goes back to the beginning of the time. It, you know, Danny talks about playing with Celtics players that I knew that I used to think, wow, wonder what's up there. Why isn't this, you know, wow, this is not what I expected, this guy. And uh, that goes back, you know, Charles Barkley also talked to me about, you know, he had a friend in high school. I forget if this made it into the series because I had so much information, but a guy that he played with in high school, he said, we knew he wasn't right. We knew it. We knew it when we were 13 years old, but we didn't know what to do about it, and nobody else did. He ended up killing a guy and spent the rest of his life in prison. And, you know, Charles says, man, if we had just – figured out a way, maybe that guy gets the help he needs. And and the, the amount of players, you know, there's so many players in the NBA, in the league, that you think, man, that guy fell off a cliff. Why? I wonder what happened with him. Wow, I thought he was going to be a perennial all-star. I thought that guy was going to be a league MVP. Wow, what happened to him? Well, you know what? Take an educated guess what happened to him. You mentioned Danny Ainge, and, and I don't want to give it away, but he, he tells you a story in there that, that I think was due, right. and, and just an episode he went through right. in his life. And I think it gets back to what you said, that there's nobody who hasn't been – and Kevin said it to you that in that day in the locker room. Everybody's dealing with something. And, and uh, yep. you know, Danny is from a very different generation in the league, but also – and you 
amplify this in the pieces, you know, Boston's been as proactive. I think Marcus Morris talked about this feeling very comfortable with how Boston helped him deal with right. some of these issues and how, and you, and you mentioned Brad Stevens role in that too. Right, right. And so, you know, Danny is interesting and, and some of the stuff that didn't make that piece aging just for length purposes was, so Danny was 18 years old when he got drafted by the Toronto Blue Jays. He was in the majors by the time he was 19 years old. Okay. Now Danny's a Mormon from a very devout Mormon family. Doesn't drink, doesn't smoke, doesn't swear. I really have never heard him swear. I bet he has at least once, but <laughs> I don't have evidence of it. But, you know, different kind of guy in a league where guys were, you know, going out after the games, drinking till they dropped, womanizing, things that were really completely adverse to how he was raised. And he was really struggling with it. And as he told me, he was in over his head. He was just, he was just a kid. And he was away from his family. He was living in Toronto, which is a foreign country. Canada is a foreign country, different, a different way of things. And he was really struggling with that and really wasn't prepared for it. Then, you know, Fast forward to 1981, I think is when he joined the Celtics. You know, he, he gave up baseball and went to Boston. And in his second season, gets a phone call, and it's one of his brothers, and his mother has killed herself. Her mother, his mother Kay has taken her life. And again, how do you deal with that? How are you supposed to deal with that? Back then, you know, Kevin McHale and all your buddies in the locker room gave you a hug and said, man, I'm sorry, man, wow. And then, all right, let's go. We got a game tonight. I mean, that's just how it was back then. And he talks about, you know, there were times I needed help and I didn't get it. And so I think he's very maybe hyper aware because of that. And, uh, and I do think this, the Celtics are not the only organization, but they have really done a great job. I think the Lakers have a great relationship with the UCLA. And of course, the Dallas Mavericks, they hired Don Kalkstein. Now he's a, he's not a, a a psychologist, but he's a sports psych. Well, I guess he is. He's a sports psychologist, but he also, you know, he was there from the beginning. And he's just a terrific. I mean, he was. I really enjoyed speaking. He's with impressive. Him. I heard him speak at an event at Summer League a couple of years ago, and he he's really uh, really impressive. He is. He's very impressive. And, and you know, he told me if you know, I if I can handle what I think, they're, you know, if they're dealing with you know positive self talk or visualization or mindful, that's one thing. He said if they're dealing with bipolar or something else, you know, we have a referral service all the way through the Dallas Fort worth area. I don't try to take that on. I get them, you know, he, so he's not a guy that's trying to say he has all the answers. And so those kind of people, they've been at this a while. And, you know, it was interesting to, for Don Coxney because he was saying, you know, in the beginning, I was just trying to make guys understand, like, here's what we're trying to do, because they didn't even understand that, because he was from Mars. Nobody had a sports psychologist. What is that? And, you know, Adam Silver makes a joke in the story about how, yeah, we used to call him the shooting coach, because if you said, wow, I'm having trouble focusing or dealing with, you know, success or failure, and you say, oh, yeah, the shooting coach has helped me, that's okay, but if you say, yeah, the sports psychologist is helping me, everyone's like, oh, what, like, you're, are you crazy or something, you know, so, so the language of this whole thing, mental wellness as opposed to mental health, mental illness, like, I just, I, I, I don't believe I wrote that anywhere in all five parts, because nobody wants to hear that, there's such a negative stigma attached to that, and Kevin's the one that taught me that. You know, we're shooting for mental wellness, mental health. So it's interesting. And it, little things like the language of it, you would think wouldn't be a big deal, but it, it is. It is to these guys. Hey, Jackie, how much better prepared do you think the NBA will be? Let's say it's 2022 when high school players come back in. I think we're all confident it's headed right, that way. And 2022 yeah. seems now to be, they, they thought 2021, and now the sense we get is it won't be before 22. Right. How much better prepared the league will be to handle teenagers, 
that one year does make a difference than when the last time the high school players could come in. Yeah, much more. Uh, you know, they were in Vegas. Um, Tracy Murray, who you guys probably remember, played at UCLA and was also in the NBA. He was in Las Vegas talking to all those rookies about mental health and, and how to, you know, be able to talk about things and share things. And uh, so there's that rookie transition program. Mental health is part of that. You know, Adam Silver, again, the junior NBA, the NBA fit program, you know, he came to an epiphany, the smart guys we know, came to an epiphany and said, wow, we're, we're dealing very comprehensively with fitness and the physical fitness, but we haven't really um, taken, you know, the player as a whole, the, the holistic view, and so they've made those changes now. So, you know, the NBA is all over this, and so is the Players Union, and it's been a collaborative effort. And they're not always, on the, you know, 100% on the same page, but I think they both have the same ideas and interests, and they know the numbers too. I mean, you know, John Lucas said to me he estimates 40%, at least 40% of NBA players have mental health issues. You know, I talked to two different people that said, oh, it's more. It's more than that. And I think the league knows that, and I think the Players Union knows that. One of the things that it, it'll always be a challenge, and it's part of intel gathering by teams when they're drafting a player or trading for a player or committing to sign a player to a long-term deal, they want access to this information. They want right. it before the draft. They want it in a trade. We've all gotten calls at, from teams asking about, hey, what do you know about that guy right. and that issue? And what does time. it stem from? And yep. that's not a very scientific way to do it. But how much will this continue to be at odds, the, the privacy of a player and wanting to, as you said, be in a situation where it isn't necessarily just there's an independent person there working with them. They're not necessarily only have the team's interests at heart. That versus teams wanting to know about, you know, to make informed decisions and balance risks on investments. Is that always going to be at odds? I think a little bit. And, and um, you know, if you're an owner and you're paying a player $120 million, you want to know what's going on with that player. And I think that's fair, but only to a point, only to a point. And what point is that? And I think, you know, as we evolve and mental health becomes more of the daily topic of conversation and, it be, you know, we're, we're very, I think, I'd like to think we're on our way to destigmatizing this. There are going to be continued discussions about this. And, uh, you know, like it was interesting talking to Larry Sanders. Of course, a lot has changed since Larry Sanders left the NBA. And for those who don't remember, he was, you know, he played for the Milwaukee Bucks. I thought it was going to be a really, I don't know about you, I thought he had a chance to have a really great career. He was a really, really good player. And then all of a sudden he, he gets suspended. You know, he has these drug suspensions. But what he really had was depression and anxiety, and he was, you know, battling some of those things. And the league, according to him, wanted to put him on medication. They had, you know, specific medications they wanted him to be taking. And he chose to self-medicate with marijuana. And so he kept getting busted. And he was very, very frustrated because at that time, the mental health policy, which there barely was one, was under the, the drug policy. So he kept saying, you know, you're punishing me for the byproduct instead of the actual thing. I'm trying to, I'm trying to get to the bottom of why I feel this way. You're, you're punishing me for what makes me try to make me feel better. And so those, those conversations and this, you know, discoveries, I think, have already gotten us one step closer to getting a real good comprehensive way of dealing with this. But as long as there are owners and look at players as investments, and, and, and I don't mean that to be as cruel as it sounds, but, but they are. They're big investments. They, you know, they're going to want to know, hey, what's going on with this guy? And players are saying, you know, you, you have a right to know, can I show up to my game on time? Do I show up to the game? Do I right. perform? 
And really, right. beyond that, you don't have the right. right. You and you can look at you can look at an MRI on my knee, and you can look at physically. You know, teams have access to the body, but you're right. That's and, and I've heard agents talk about it, and I think it might be some of the apprehension you talked about of players who you thought might want to come forward is if I tell people what I'm dealing with, is that going to hurt me in free agency? Is it going to hurt me in some sort of a negotiation? And I think that's part of it too, because there's a lot of uncertainty when you put that out there and you put yourself out right, there in that way. Right. And you know, it's funny, like, so it's almost, I was teasing Kevin, he's made it chic to be depressed, right? So I don't mean that to be flippant, but he's given people an opening. Like I, I had a couple of players that are bipolar. And everyone's like, whoa, wait a minute. Well, don't lump me in with him. Well, why not? It's all mental health. It's all mental wellness. But for some reason, that takes us to a whole different place. So there's even levels of this, layers of this. You know, medication seems to me to be a real hot button. So we're destigmatizing the idea that you might have depression or anxiety or, or ADHD or whatever it is you have. But if you're on meds, whoa, well, wait a minute. That's a whole nother story. So we're... We're a long way off from solving all this. Jalen Rose told you an interesting story yeah, in that, that story. in that piece, right? That that was an interesting. Um, well, you tell that story, Jackie. Yeah. So so Jalen was with the Indiana Pacers. Was very very excited about the trade. Really excited to be there. Loved Donnie Wallace. Gets there, and Larry Brown's the coach. And he and Larry Brown get off on the wrong foot. And you know, in Jalen's mind, Larry Brown just doesn't like him. Just doesn't like him. And Jalen, you know, said the next thing you know, they're they're starting talking to him about ADD. Of course, it's now we know it's now ADHD, but they're you know back then they called it ADD. And he said, you know, this guy comes in, starts asking me questions, and you know, checking me out, and and then all of a sudden the patients declare I have ADD, ADHD, and uh, I need medication. And in, in Jalen's mind, it was Larry Brown's way of saying, all right, I don't want to play this guy now. I got a reason not to. You know, this guy isn't my type. He isn't my guy. I, now I don't have to play him anymore. So Jalen tells the story. They they put him on this medication, and he takes the medication, and the minute they leave, he throws it all in the trash. He never took any of it. And so a month goes by, and he starts to get to play a little bit. He's playing better in practice, and all of a sudden he's playing in the games, and Larry Brown and the staff's coming up to him and saying, see, you know, isn't this great? We got this under control now, and you're you're playing much better. And Jalen Brown's laughing, thinking, yeah, man, except for I didn't take any of your stupid pills. You know? <laughs> and the, the funniest part is Jalen's the first to say to you, Maybe I had it then. Mm-hmm. Maybe I have it now. I just didn't want the medication. Now, we'll never know. Would he have benefited from the medication? We'll never know. But, you know, it can also be used as, in Jalen's mind, it was being used to punish him. Now, I tried to reach Larry Brown. I think I'm one number behind on him. He's a moving target, as you know. So uh, I didn't get a chance to speak with him. But my guess is he would tell you, look, I was just trying to help the kid. The kid couldn't focus. He couldn't concentrate. I want him to be the best player he could be. You can see both sides to that story easily, right? Absolutely. Jackie, this is tremendous. I appreciate you taking the time. And the series is outstanding. It started Thank you. I appreciate Monday. It. It's on ESPN.com. The Marcus Morris piece is up on Tuesday morning, and it runs through the weekend, Jackie. Uh, tremendous work, as always, and thanks for stopping in. I enjoyed it. Thanks, Adrian. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Woj Pod. A big thank you to my guest today, Jackie McMullen. Remember, you can subscribe and listen to new and archived episodes of this podcast wherever you go to get your pods. You can find us on Apple Podcasts. And of course, a big thank you to our sponsor today, ZipRecruiter. Be sure to support them the way they support us here at the Woj Pod. We'll catch you next time.